I love Holy Week. Um, I, I always have. I, I gave my life to Christ in January of 1984, and so just a few months later, Easter came along, and for the first time, I understood what this was all about. The first time, I understood why we why we do those things, and and it, I remember Monday Thursday service that year was at the Presbyterian Church, and I remember being greeted by people there, and, and then going to the Methodist Church for uh, I think it was Good Friday that year there, and and then I think the Christian Church had had sunrise service. I think I may have hit the hammer that nailed Jesus in place that year. I don't remember for sure, but I remember what an impact it made, meant to me to, to worship as a community. Maundy Thursday, Lord's Supper, has much of, its origin, much, of its, much of its origin in the celebration of Passover. And, and the tradition with Passover is there's a question that is asked, usually by the youngest, um, but the question is, why, why is this night different from all other nights? And the answer is because this night we're free. Um, that speaks back to the leaving Egypt, but it also speaks to what Christ was doing. Um, for me, it, it speaks about our community. Though. We're free of different buildings, of different ideologies, of different denominational barriers. We come as the body of Christ and we celebrate together. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Not all communities get to do that, and I just love that, that we do. None of that's in my sermon tonight, that's just me. Uh, <laughs> if you got your Bibles with you, uh, I would love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. If you want to use those Bibles that we have in the pews, it is page 832 in those Bibles. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29 is what I'd like to read start tonight. Matthew writes, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood. Of the, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We come together on, on Maundy Thursday to remember the night that Jesus died. We remember that He washed His disciples' feet. One of my friends is having a foot washing service tonight. I always wash my feet before I go to a foot washing service. Safer that way for everybody. We remember, in fact, in the very name, Maundy Thursday, Maundy from the Latin word for command. We remember a new command that we've been given. That new command is that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, Jesus says. And we remember the institution of the Lord's Supper, the body broken, the blood poured out. And... and the Lord's Supper shared in community, shared together among those who know Him. While Good Friday is still a day away, from our perspective, we can't help but see the cross. We can't help but, but look ahead to it. Here in the Christian church over the past six weeks, I've been preaching through a series that I've called Famous Last Words. It's a 
seven last sayings from the cross. Famous last words, words that show us who Jesus is and, and they show us his heart, they show us his desire, they show us his mission, why he came, why he had to die. But they also show us his humanity. And so I want us to, to make a little bit of a leap tonight from, from that last supper with his disciples to some of the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. And if you can turn in those Bibles um, on over to John chapter 19, again, page 906 in those Bibles, I want to kind of wed those two, these two passages together. Jesus sharing that cup, sharing that loaf with his disciples, and then what Jesus says from the cross in John 19, verses 28 through 30. John writes, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, and he said this to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. There's a link between these two events, I, I believe. The passage in Matthew there at the, at the Last Supper, that is the last recorded time, the last recorded event that we have of Jesus drinking anything prior from that night until that moment on the cross. There is no word of Him drinking anything in the garden. There is no word of Him having anything to drink after His arrest. There is no word of him getting to quench his thirst in between the beatings or during his trial. In fact, he refused a drink right before they nailed him to the cross. And so at this moment in, in John's Gospel, when Jesus, when the man hanging on the cross says, I thirst, it is a, a very real human statement. Medically speaking, the average healthy human can go eight weeks without food if they have water. Eight weeks without food if they have water. But that same human, under the best of conditions, can only go three days without water. And that is in the best of conditions, not the condition you find on a cross after you've been beaten bloody, after you've been nailed there, after you've become a, a beaten bloody mess. Jesus hasn't had anything to drink since that night, that Thursday night in the upper room. And in that time, He has been through stresses that you and I cannot even begin to imagine. So we have to understand His words, first of all, from a human standpoint. And as any of us know, thirst is one of those most basic needs that we have. As I was putting this message together, the thought hit me, uh, thirst is that basic need. I mean, everybody experiences thirst. You know, we, we from the time we're kids, you know, and, and all the way all through our lives, we we know thirst. It's the most basic need. But but who was Jesus? You go back to to Genesis chapter one, and we have the creation story. And, and in the midst of that creation story, we have this the, these words in Genesis that tell us, "In the Spirit of God, that is God, Jesus hovered over the face of the water." He hovered over the waters in that moment. 
We come to John chapter 2, and Jesus is at that wedding in Cana of Galilee, and, and he takes water and he turns it into wine. You go to Matthew chapter 14, and there's this horrible storm. The disciples are afraid they're going to die, and, and suddenly they see what they think is a ghost, and it's Jesus walking on the water to them. Jesus gets in the boat. He calms the storms. In another place, the disciples ask the question, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The creator of the waters, the, the master, the one who created and controlled the waters is, is dying of thirst. And it's as if the entire creation has turned its back on him. That's exactly what had to happen for him to die for our sins. It wasn't enough for God to experience the inconvenience of human nature. It wasn't enough for God to experience aches and pains and you know, the, the ravages of age. Jesus had to know what our deepest pains were like, what our greatest hurts were, what our most horrible fears were. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. and In verses 6-8, through eight, he describes Jesus and he says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Incredibly humbling to consider that, that he took that on for you and me. Jesus himself says in John chapter 7, verse 37, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, Streams of living water will flow from within Him. Two weeks ago, we, we looked at those words of Jesus on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said those words. He, he suffered that separation from His Father so that you and I would never have to, so that we would never be separated from God. Here on the cross, He took on our most basic need so that if we thirst for Him, we will be filled. Because you see, Thirst is our most basic need. But our deepest need is to know God. Back in the 1940s, there was a psychologist named Abraham Maslow. And Maslow began studying the question of human need. What were, what were human needs on their most basic level? No matter where you were, no matter who you were, no matter where you lived, whether you were in a mansion or in a grass hut, uh, what do we all have in common? What do we all need? And so he developed what was known as Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And some of you are nodding like, yes, you had to memorize those when you were younger too. And at the bottom, it looked like a pyramid if you remember. And on the bottom of the pyramid, there were those basic human needs. Water, food, shelter, free Wi-Fi. All of those things. <laughs> the most basic of human needs. And then beyond that are the higher needs. Needs like safety, needs like love and belonging, needs like confidence and, and respect. And at the very top of the pyramid are, are those needs that tell us who we are, those needs that tell us about life, that tell us about faith, that tell us about existence. And, and the fact is, until you meet those basic needs, until you have that foundation in place, you can't even begin to think about those higher needs, which is one of the reasons why we send missionaries to places and, and they don't just go to preach, they go to dig wells, they go to, to bring medication, they go to, to, to provide for those basic needs so that the people can come to a place where they can hear about those bigger needs, those greater needs. 
that's always been the problem. For thousands of years, we were so caught up in, in our day-to-day basic needs that we couldn't see beyond where we were and, and, and who we were and what those immediate needs were. And, and somehow, we got the idea that, that God was like us. We got the idea that God was like us, that, that God had to be satisfied. We got it in our heads that we had to do things to keep God happy. To make sure that God's basic needs were met, and so therefore He would fulfill our needs. And, and so we would do all of these little things, trying to, trying to make God happy. we got to keep Him happy. But in Christ, God turned that completely upside down, and He became one of us. He emptied Himself of every blessing, of every benefit of His nature, and He became one of us so that He could know you in your emptiness and what you don't have. David, in one of our favorite songs, which is one of our favorite psalms also, David says in Psalm 42, verses 1-3, through David says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My, My tears have been my food by day and night. While men have said to me all day long, where is your God? You hear the thirst in David's words there. And and as I've said to our crowd many times, when we sing that song as the deer, when we hear these words from David, do not think of Bambi. This is not some deer frolicking in the forest with his little animal friends. This deer has has been run off from the herd. This deer has wandered far away from the watering hole, and he's now lost in the desert far away from from anything that would nourish him, anything that would quench his thirst, and, and he is dying. He is panting. He is struggling. His tongue is hanging out. It is stuck to him. And David said, God, that's exactly how I thirst for you. That's exactly how, um, how much I need you. And, and without you, I would die. That's the thirst that Jesus came to fulfill. And that's what he did fulfill. So you, go, you look again at this passage I looked at in John 19. The first verse we looked at, verse 28. John says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill Scripture... I thirst, knowing that all was now finished. That was hinted at on Thursday night. On Thursday night, when he was in the garden praying, in John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus prays to the Father and he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So here, in the midst of the knowledge, as he hangs on the cross, in the midst of the knowledge that, that he is now the same as dead. And, and the very next words out of his mouth, which will be, it is finished. Jesus says, I thirst. And he takes his final drink this side of heaven. See, Jesus took on our most basic need so that he could fulfill our deepest need. And even in that moment, God was making His plan known to His people. Now, David had prophesied when it says that 
when it says there in, in verse 28, to fulfill Scripture, David had prophesied in, in Psalm 69, verse uh, 21, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Sounds horrible, doesn't it? Vinegar for your thirst. Trust me, it is. It's a nasty, horrible drink. The drink that he's specifically talking about was a drink that was designed to tighten the throat of the victims so that they couldn't scream anymore. But for Jesus, it gave him relief for just a few moments, for his final breath, for his final words. It is finished. And so the creator, the designer, the one who put oxygen and hydrogen together in that bond, the one who was overall and in all and above all emptied himself and took on the form of one of us. And it wasn't just enough for him to live like one of us. He died like one of us. He died like the very worst of us so that in his pain, he could experience our pain. So that in his glory, we could experience peace we could experience healing and we could find hope. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Prior to the cross, that just wasn't possible. Prior to the cross, all we knew was the guilt of our sin. Prior to the cross, all we knew was the pain of what we had done wrong, the loneliness of an existence without meaning, without higher needs. But it's through the cross that we know His righteousness. It's through the cross that we know what it means to be right with God. There are people in our world, and there are people in our community who are thirsty for that. And the problem is, a lot of them don't even know that's what they're thirsty for. If you were to look at Maslow's chart, they are still working on those basic things. They, they need help with that. They're struggling with the basics. They're struggling with understanding who they are and, and why anyone, why anyone, especially a holy God, would love them and would die for them. And you and I have the answer to their thirst. We have what will quench that. It is in a God, it is in a God who so loved them that He would give His one and only Son to take on their pain so that they could know that even in the worst of moments, they're not alone. That's why we come to the table together. And that's why we remember together. That's why we hear those words of Jesus, a new command I give you, that you love one another just like I've loved you. The way you saw me love you, that's how I want you to love one another. The love with His kind of intensity, love with his kind of sacrifice and the love with his kind of purpose so that they would never be lonely again so that they would never be alone again we're going to come to the table here in just a moment or two and what we're going to do i always said this is very hard for kansas illinois but we're going to try it again i'm going to have the guys the guys will turn the lights down in a little bit we're going to sing a song we're going to pray Guys will turn the lights down just a little bit. And um, when you're ready, I'm just inviting you to come up and, and take. Um, if you need to spend some time, as a friend of mine always says, doing business with God, if you need to talk, with th talk things over with him, please, by all means, take as much time as you need. When you're ready, 
come forward and take. And then afterwards, there is no closing prayer. There is no closing song. Just ask that you leave in silence, much as they must have that night as they went to the garden. It's just a, it's just a little cracker. It's just a little cup of juice. I guarantee it will not quench your thirst. But through his presence here tonight, it becomes something much more. It's just a bunch of people from Kansas, Illinois, and surrounding communities gathering together tonight. But through his presence, it becomes much more. It becomes the body of Christ. And it occurs to me that we don't take communion alone. We always take it together. We always take it as the body. Sometimes it occurs to me that we don't just take it for ourselves, we take it for each other, and we take it for those that don't know Him. We take it so that we might become the body, so that we might carry that message. There is someone out there who has a thirst that they don't even begin to understand, but through you, through through what happens when we come together, through what happens when, when we come to Christ, we become able to meet that thirst, quench that thirst for them. So tonight, you're not just taking for yourself. You're taking for those that, that are thirsty so that we might have something to offer them. We're going to sing this song, and then, uh, then we'll pray.